how fairy bread got cancelled, Troy Savan's straw-worthy Melbourne home, clothing the Gap's rebrand after a legal battle, and a rundown of the TikTok industry plant band, Tramp Stamps. We're Jasmine and Maggie, and you're listening to Culture Club, our weekly chat about pop culture, current affairs, the internet, and our lives. We would like to acknowledge that the Wurundjeri and Bunwurrung people are the traditional custodians of the land upon which we live, work, and record this podcast. We would like to pay our respects to elders past, present, and emerging. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Hi. Hello. It's been a while, hasn't it? It's been so long. How are you? Yeah, good. I mean, it's funny. So let's tell the listeners, right? So we'll get into it, but you were away for a couple of weeks and we haven't recorded an episode in a couple of weeks. And it's so funny because our messages to each other every day are like, miss you, lol, when you're <laughs> away, even though we were still technically t- talking online every day. <laughs> I know. It felt so weird to like, not sit down and talk to you like I had to call you when I got back so I was like I just want to chat because it's so weird to not debrief like we do on the podcast every week so love that for us how sweet Mm -hmm. very sweet so actually tell me and the listeners about your holiday I have seen such beautiful images and videos on your Instagram while it was freezing cold in Melbourne you were up there living it up yeah so I went away to North Queensland last week um I went to Port Douglas uh with my family which was very sweet so my um you know my grandparents auntie uncle cousins parents and sister were all there and it was really nice because obviously it's the first time we've been all together in the same room since like before COVID it was for a birthday which was very special and it's like um our family place like we go there every couple of years so yeah it was so beautiful to just get away and I was very lucky we were really lucky with the weather it was very sunny and hot and I heard you guys were having like an arctic freeze or something down here so I was like I'm just gonna stay quiet and not post the fact that I'm like laying by the pool today (laughs) (laughs) no do it I never feel any like ill feelings towards someone who is living it better (laughs) At that moment, you know, I just live vicariously through you. Mm. Um, so it was amazing. We went to the Great Barrier Reef. We I did like a snorkel with a marine biologist, which was crazy. Wow. So um, it was meant to be 45 minutes and she took us around for like over an hour, like oh pointing God. out all the fish and the coral. And so that was really cool to have like context of what I was looking at. Probably the most amazing day and like the most unique experience that I've ever had on holiday was uh, we organized a tour with this um, indigenous company called Walkabout. Uh, where a local guide from the Port Douglas area took us around, um, you know, the sites and the country. And he taught us how to um, hunt mud crabs, how we did like a smoking ceremony, welcome to country, obviously. And we went up to the creeks, um, ate damper, swam in like freshwater creeks. And Mm. he was like teaching us all about the local bush medicine and what they would use for various things like eye drops, um, if you got sunburnt, what plant you'd use. And it was so great because it was very like personal. It mm. wasn't a big company. It's like his own company. His family have lived on that land for um, decades. It was just so interesting to hear about that group and that land from someone who's lived there all their life and just to learn a bit more, I think. Like, did you know that women weren't allowed to use the didgeridoo? No, I didn't know that. They're not allowed to play the didgeridoo because um, it, especially in that area, like this is just what he was telling me, was that it's considered bad luck for women to and girls to play. And if you either don't want to have babies, if you play the didgeridoo, you would have babies when you don't want them or need them and then if you really want a baby you would struggle to conceive so pretty full-on and what was another thing oh the fact that on the coast some of the indigenous groups are um a patriarchal system but then if you go into the desert those people there are Mm. a matriarchal system because the women know where the yams are where the water is so just like little tidbits like that were very interesting to know because i think that Sometimes 
the schooling system in Australia can really like skim over a lot of those things or and all wasn't just like here's a fun fact like he did go into the stolen generation he spoke about his family he had these old documents of like his family who were taken away from you know their parents and things like that so Mm. my dad's British and we were on the bus talking about like the land we were on how it was the hunting ground and how Indigenous people were like hunted Mm. and my dad was like oh my god I had no idea so that was very I guess sobering for a lot of us like coming up there as tourists obviously we know that those things happen but when you hear it from like a personal story as well I think um especially for my parents who like went to school in the 70s and 80s when what we teach today is so different yeah it was just very very interesting and if anyone is up in Port Douglas or the Cairns area I definitely recommend doing one of those tours the walkabout tours because it was such like a unique experience and like all of our money is going to him and his family. It's not like owned by like a massive private tour company that's owned by white people. Like it's very um, local. So yeah, Mm. that was definitely a highlight. That's so special. I wish I could have done something like that, especially in school, uh, because even that, because even though you're talking about how your parents' education was so different in the seventies and eighties, like my experience in high school was also crap. Like we, barely learned about First Nations people or anything like that. And for instance, on camp, like every single year we made damper, but we were never told about why we make it or whatever. It's just like, yeah, time to mix flour and water and put it over the fire. That's all. Um, So that's very nice. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, you're welcome. So it's a very special holiday and I got back on um, Wednesday. So back to the cold. It feels so much colder now. But I feel refreshed after like taking a little bit of break, of a break from, you know, work and social media and stuff as well. Um, one other thing that we both have loved this week is Troy Savan's house that was profiled in Architectural Digest. Honestly, how incredible is it? Oh my gosh, we're obsessed. I love it so much. When I first saw the like sneak peek, I was like, I have to stop everything. I have to go watch this video now. Mm. And yeah, it's in Melbourne. It's this beautiful, like kind of 70s inspired place, would you say? I would say it's got a lot of like natural tones and very plant filled, light filled. Um, Yes, I don't know too much about architecture, so I'm not (laughs) going to make a fool of myself. But I'm like, yes, 70s. (laughs) Yes, but it's like our dream house. When you first sent it to me, you sent me like a preview link on Messenger and I saw the picture and I was like, oh my God, like future studio space. (laughs) And literally that was the first thing I thought. But then when I opened it up, I was like, nope, already occupied. (laughs) This is a multi-million dollar house. (laughs) (laughs) Don't even know how much it went for. Guessing the average price now of has in Melbourne is over a million dollars. So oh, for sure. um, that would, I'm guessing, be closer to two. <laughs> but it was so great. Um, you watched the video and, and saw that and everything, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> yes. I, I, didn't, I didn't have to ask. You've been like, <laughs> you, you, you've seen it like five times. I don't know why I asked. You can like memorize the script, whatever. <laughs> but what I meant is what I was trying to lead on to was the fact that he's a musician but I love that so many things in the house just wasn't about his occupation. We very briefly touched on like the speakers in his bathroom and there is music playing and whatnot, but he loves his art. He he has this reading chair. It's very, it's very much, I don't know, a very well-rounded home. Mm. And it just, it's a really beautiful reflection of him as a person, I think. And I really admire that. I love what he was saying as well when he was at, over at his reading chair and he was saying like, I just hope for everyone that that's my mm-hmm. hope that like um, people have a space where it's like for all of their possessions and um, they feel so at home here because like that's what I've created here and I feel so great. And he was just saying how happy he was and I mm. think that's beautiful. And he lives with his sister, which I think is really sweet as well. Um, I also want to mention kind of like second degree separate of separation. Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. It sounds wrong. But um, <laughs> I had my makeup done for a shoot and the woman who was doing my makeup actually did his makeup and hair for this shoot. So Dead. she touched my face. <laughs> she touched Troy's face. So just um, touched. Yeah, you've touched faces with Troy. <laughs> you touched makeup brushes. Totally. <laughs> uh, yeah. So 
It's in Melbourne. Um, we know the address, but we're not going to say it, obviously. <laughs> I figured out the address. Oh, it was actually so easy to do. It's really easy. That's actually really bad. But that's what I was thinking about when I was being a creep and um, trying to figure out what – I just wanted to know what suburb it was in because it looked so beautiful and you mentioned there was a park and I was like, where in Melbourne is this? Um, but the real estate page is still up from like mm. when they were selling it to him um, and the design files also did a feature on the house before it was renovated, before he bought it. And I was thinking like that was so easy to find. Is there a certain level of celebrity you have to be to do an AD? Because like, isn't it a security risk? It's a massive thing. Um, and a lot of the people that they profile are American and they kind of live in secluded areas like by 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 watching those videos usually you have no idea where it is like you really can't tell or they'll really just show I guess like the front door not too much of the exterior Mm. but this that has so many distinct features like it used to be a handball court yeah that's what I googled I googled like 1800s handball court house and it came up so I wonder if it's because it's Australian and they think I don't know Maybe it's because of his fans, like he knows his fans are chill. Also the fact that it's Melbourne, I was talking to someone and they were saying, I was like, oh, maybe Melbourne fans are like too cool to care. Like as if you go to like sit outside someone's house, like that's so lame. Um, I might have stalked One Direction at Crown, cause, <laughs> like Crown Hotel back in the day. We're so- just exposing our like stalker behavior here. Yeah, like not above Melbournians. And also, um, one of my friends, Tyler, she said, Oh my God, I can't believe this. Um, when she was younger, she went to a protest in Melbourne to try to get One Direction to come here <laughs> before they had come to Australia. <laughs> what? There was a protest. Yeah, apparently. Um, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> Love that. Okay. Anyway. Well, I don't know if there's any going to be any protests about outside Troy's house. So anyway, we're going to go get brunch in that sub. No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Anyway, love your house, Troy. It's on all of my uh, manifestation boards. So in recent months, you might have seen some major food brands change their names because they appeared problematic to some. Things such as Redskins, Coon Cheese, and obviously not a food, but how Dixie Chicks changed their name to Chicks. To kind of explore this phenomenon, Australian satirical publication The Chaser faked a story about fairy bread being cancelled and the media absolutely fell for it. I'm going to play a little snippet of the video where they explain kind of why they did this. So why do news stations run these stories? Well, it's a little thing called the idiot ball and we call it that because everybody who works in news knows these stories aren't true or at least they try not to research it. The thing that matters in news reporting these days isn't truth. It's generating clicks, views, and pushing a political agenda. So this week, our team at The Chaser Interns decided to find out just how hard it would be to create an idiot ball of our own and see how many conservative commentators would actually run with the story, despite it being obviously fake. So had you seen this floating around, Jazz? Yes, I saw it yesterday, only after it was exposed as being fake. I didn't see when it was like being circulated in the actual news media. Yeah, it was so interesting because it did end up in publications like news.com.au, Herald Sun, Daily Mail. Um, so not the best news sites. So that's fine. That's probably why we didn't see it. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Hire us. <laughs> so how did they do this? I hear you ask. So the team of interns went on the page, this person does not exist. Do you know this website? Oh, jazz, Google. And any listeners who don't know, Google this because it's so messed up. It is a random image generator of people who don't exist. So these are images of people who don't exist, but let me tell you, they look so real. It is frightening. So take a look at that. But anyway, they pulled a photo from that and using that, they created a fake name, fake Facebook page, fake Twitter, and then they made a change.org petition, sent that out on Twitter and that kind of blew up. Unfortunately, the chaser was kind of caught out straight away by um, Ben Fornham on radio. So he knew that it was a prank caught on. But you know, even though that happened, the chaser was like, let's just give this one more shot. Let's send out one last press release and see what happens. Turns out that was when all these news publications started 
posting about this and publishing this story, even though if you Googled it, one of the top stories that would come up is about how it was a prank that the radio found out. That is so bad. I'd be so embarrassed if that was my story. Oh my God. How embarrassing. Mm -hmm. Not even Googling it. But I think this just proves how obsessed certain news groups, especially the ones backed by a certain oligarch old men are frothing at the mouth to create these culture wars Mm. especially between generations so obviously like between baby boomers and like millennials gen z's it's this thing of like that's what gets the clicks and that's what gets especially boomers like they get so angry the comments on facebook that you see from people like over a certain age not being ageist but like it is people over a certain age who are saying these things they get so upset like when coon cheese was changed as it should be because if a person from that group says "Mm, maybe this isn't the best and people like oh yeah that name was created like a hundred years ago times have changed the meanings of words have changed they get so defensive and it's like when have you ever cared about like a cheese brand name you know like why are they so obsessed with holding on to things but that's like i guess why the chaser thought that this would get picked up so quickly and it did because people are just ready to like fight out this like cancel the woke left sides and whatever like oh these idiots they want to cancel fairy bread yeah um i feel like it's a perfect melting pot of a few different things so cancel culture pc culture and something just so mundane and irrelevant that people love fighting about you know yeah totally and also because fairy bread is like an australian new zealand thing oh if anyone doesn't know fairy bread (laughs) we should probably explain that because we have international listeners fairies it's made by fairies it is white bread with butter and hundreds and thousands of sprinkles, so like rainbow sprinkles. It's like a staple at kids' parties in um, mm-hmm. Australia. So I think because it was also like an Australian quote-unquote icon, it's like our cuisine, embarrassingly. <laughs> <laughs> um, pe- a cultural specialty. <laughs> I think they also knew that people would get upset about that. Like, how That's dare true. you cancel something so Australian? Oh. It's so embarrassing. So anyway, did the publications apologize at all? Uh, They didn't apologize, but they quickly took down the Mm. articles as soon as they found out. So many of them were just up for a few hours, but embarrassing. But I also, like working in newsrooms is so intense and I can't imagine how many deliverables and how many articles um, writers are forced to put Mm. out each day and that obviously tarnishes your writing like capabilities so it's not exactly the writer's fault it's the system's fault I would say but Mm. also a google search never hurt anyone exactly yeah but it's kind of like it's the machine aid itself in the sense that like the news corp groups want to pump out so much content they want to get the clickbait and like they want to put up seven stories a day from the one writer but that's what ended up causing this mess is they wanted to get that out so quickly and create this culture machine that they they got caught out so sorry murdoch in this week's installment of men getting involved in things that don't concern them a german company has received backlash after creating a product that just didn't need to be made Pinky Gloves is a German menstrual product designed by men to prevent people getting menstrual blood on their hands when removing tampons or other period products, as well as assisting in disposing of the said product. Have you heard of this? No, but you sent me some pictures of this and they look like those dishwashing, like pink massive gloves that you wash dishes with. And I was so perplexed by this so according to their instagram account the three male founders met in the army before moving into a quote unquote women's flat i guess a flat that contains women who live there Mm -hmm. i noticed that quote there seems to be no good solution when it comes to disposal of tampons end quote and it goes on to say their inventive spirit was awakened and they decided to come up with a solution that no one asked for We'll share the pictures on our Instagram story or in the carousel today, but Rachel Moss from the Huffington Post described it as a, quote, doggy poo bag for people who have periods. After justified backlash, the founders apologized in a post saying, we have not dealt adequately and properly with the subject. That was a big mistake. 
The good thing about the current situation is that the period and its political aspects are getting a lot of attention and the important social discourse is now widespread. Yeah, then they went on to say that they were absolutely in favour of removing the taboo surrounding periods. Quote, We realise that we still have a lot to learn and that we have some blind spots. We take your feedback very seriously and will rethink our product and reflect on the entire history of its creation. They have blind spots because they don't have a uterus. Okay, let's break this down. Like, why do you think they made this? Apparently, they went on the equivalent of Shark Tank. So I think (laughs) that they literally were like, oh, the women in our flat, like, aren't disposing of the tampons correctly. It's just stinking up the trash. Let's create this product that creates more plastic waste and is none of our business and we'll make a lot of money from it. We'll really market it for feminine women because we have to use pink to describe menstrual products like oh don't they just made it for money they have like little red hearts on all their products um but i agree that it is for money because in the quote you mentioned they were like periods are getting a lot of attention and it's important that we're talking about them but this attention and like social discourse is profitable you we can't deny that we ourselves have um, really liked seeing all these, I guess, new, cool, trendy period products and brands emerge in the recent years. And it's really, um, really disheartening, but also not that surprising to see that cis men have jumped mm. on this just to make a buck. Exactly. And I think the thing that is most disturbing for me is not the fact that well, it is the fact that men created it, but also the fact that they're saying that menstrual blood is, like, dirty mm-hmm. and it needs this, like, plastic um, kind of sanitation, very um, clinical, like you're in a hospital, like a hospital glove, to dispose of something that has, like, come out of your own body. Like, I don't know about you, but when I'm on my period and, like, you know, sorting myself out, and blood gets on your hand, like, it's your own blood. Like, we're not going to be like, mm. oh, my God, this is disgusting. Like, just wash your hands and then you're not, like, adding plastic waste into the garbage as well. There's already enough plastic waste with pads and tampons, um, let alone adding on another thing. Like, even in America, they have the um, plastic tampon applicators or whatever, which we don't have here. So maybe it's also because we're so used to just, like, being a bit more open with that stuff. But I think that's the most upsetting thing is that we should be ashamed of it because that period blood is dirty. Like, that's such an outdated Mm. patriarchal idea, I think. When, Mm. like, those men wouldn't exist if it wasn't for this dirty period blood. There's still such a taboo, of course, around periods. No matter um, how progressive our bubbles may be, the general public are still, like, grossed out by them. And I still encounter men who are like, ooh, like, I don't want to talk about that, whereas I am very open mm. about talking about it. It's very much to me just like another another bodily fluid. I even feel more comfortable talking about periods than like farts and poos. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's normal, but um, I also think that, I mean, this is a different conversation, but it's interesting that we bring up um, like the environmental factor and impact of periods because while I am very much for like reusables if you can and if you want to, because to be honest, a lot of people are grossed out by blood and really like maybe feel sick by it or just don't want to be touching their blood. I use period undies now and I love them and I have no problem with like rinsing out my period blood. But the the fact is it's all over your hands. It's Mm. like on your sink and everything. So I also, is this bad? Like, no, I mean, it's not, it's not bad, but I think the choice should be there if people don't want to jump through all these hoops when they're having a period and bleeding like a lot um that if they want to be using pads and tampons like that's okay like we put so much pressure on like largely women um to be so sustainable Hmm. and perfect but that's a that's different yeah i think that that's a different conversation like no one here is saying like it's the extra plastic of this whole glove that is upsetting like we shouldn't be creating a new product like Pads yeah, and tampons exactly. have been around for decades and people should feel like people should use them if they feel comfortable, um, even if it is creating waste, because we do put a lot of pressure on women to be sustainable um, compared to men for some reason. There's a whole gender thing there we could get into. But um, I think it's that 
it's 2021 and they're creating a new plastic product when we're all trying to cut down and that um with all of the conversations around periods they're still trying to keep it this like hidden thing while also adding stereotypes of love hearts and pink and you know this is what women want um so I think you're right in that this was a money grab they saw all of the really great progressive brands you know like Moddy Body who you've worked with or Scarlet um you know, there's a hundred more, I can't think of to my head, but they're creating like really great communities as well. And they probably wanted to try to create something like that. And it's backfired. So goodbye, Pinky Gloves. This is the worst name as well. Before we begin this topic, we'd like to put a content warning here as we discuss themes of sexual assault. I'm not sure which side of TikTok our listeners are on, but my For You page has been going off this week around a new band called Tramp Stamps. They first went viral earlier this week with a teaser of their song I'd Rather Die. Filmed in a bedroom, three young women are dancing and lip singing to a pop punk song. With the hair dyed purple, pink, and blue, the women look like DIY pop punk genre gals. Um, they kind of sound like Paramore, Halsey, and Youngblood, like all put together. The song is super catchy. I know all the words already. Um, <laughs> and at last view, that video had close to 1 million likes. So I was like, oh, cool, a fun new band. They sound great. Um, but then things began to go awry. So in this segment i'm going to go over who this band is what they've been accused of and what conversations this is sparking tramp stamps are a band based in nashville there's a lead singer marissa mayno guitarist caroline baker aka carabay and blue haired drummer Paige blue at the moment they have three singles out like jazz just mentioned i'd rather die as well as sex with me and 1-800 miss your gut They have a debut EP coming out titled We Got Drunk and Wrote an EP. So it's very much, yeah, that DIY vibe, kind of like TikTok friends just trying out something new. Um, They're all young, Gen Z. um, No, they're not Gen Z. Remember, they they kind of look Gen Z, right? They look Gen Z. Aesthetic, like their whole outfits are from like Dolls Kill and that vibe yeah so this is where it gets interesting because they posted that teaser and immediately received backlash over the lyrics which are i'd rather die than hook up with another straight white guy many began commenting that all the women are white and according to Paige's instagram account she's been married to a um, cisgendered heterosexual man for seven years so they were seeing his backlash in a follow-up the women addressed the lyric and said they didn't mean to fetishize people of color and then they wrote it over a shared sexual experience with a straight white guy with the same name and then singer marissa also said that she's gay so there was that um the second verse of the song is about a literal sexual assault Mm. it goes i don't know how you think we're gonna fuck when you can't get it up i'm sick of hearing it's the alcohol and i'm just saying it's not fair to leave me hanging like this i don't know if it's meant to be clever and it's like subverting what a lot of men do to women um, in kind of that whole blue balls don't leave me hanging shtick. But it doesn't feel cool. Like we're trying to get equality, not kind yeah. of just do the same back to people. You can't go around sexually assaulting people. So this lyric is really notable because TikTok sleuths figured out that tramp stamps are working with Lucas Gottwald, a.k.a. Dr. Luke who was in the press in 2014 after Kesha sued him to get out of her contract after he, quote, sexually, physically, verbally, and emotionally abused Kesha to the point where she nearly lost her life. That legal fight ended when a New York Supreme Court judge ruled that Kesha had defamed Dr. Luke. But that's like what he's kind of been labeled as. Um, And Kesha very bravely has like restarted her career after that traumatic experience. So, you know, not great to be kind of tied to him, I think. It should be noted, though, that Dr. Luke didn't write or produce any of the Tramp Stamp music, but two out of the three musicians in the band have contracts with his publishing house. So interesting because they are going for this kind of like punky alt girl um, aesthetic when they're working with 
um, someone who has been accused of very violent things. So because of those two things in those in the I'd Rather Die lyrics, Gen Z have had their eye on tramp stamps and all hell broke loose when many accused the group of being an industry plant. So had you heard of the term industry plant before? No, I had never heard of this before. So I was quite perplexed when I saw this. Um, why did I, the first thing I thought was like, oh, okay. So industry people have sent these people in TikTok to spy on people. <laughs> That's not what it is. <laughs> that is not what it is. Um, so can you please explain? Yes. So an industry plant is a band or musician who has had the support and backing of a label, but then presents themselves as homemade. So like, it happens a lot, especially like on the indie music scene, because a lot of those people are trying to be like bedroom pop vibes or like um, trying to have like working class aesthetic. But then it comes out that they're kind of managed by a whole bunch of people. Um, it's hard to pinpoint exactly where the term came from, but some attribute it to message board culture of the early 2010s. So when you'd literally go on the website and you'd chat on a message board rather than having Instagram or whatever. Some other industry plants that come to mind are Chance the Rapper, apparently. Um, Claro, who was marketed as bedroom pop, but her dad had ties to the music industry. Um, he introduced her to the marketing agency at Fader Magazine. And then also King Princess, which is very interesting because um, she also has that like kind of queer anti-capitalism kind of vibe. Um, but her dad owns a recording studio in New York and she's also the heir to the Macy's fortune, which is that massive department store in America. So basically industry plan is kind of synonymous with nepotism as well. Yeah. And I have personally, I just have, I hate nepotism and I hate, but I do understand in every industry, this is just kind of how it works, but contacts and knowing who's who and all that it like pervade it, it like pervades mm. sure it pervades every industry and it is just so unfair because people do get a step up um just by being who they are or knowing who they know but i think what really irks me is i guess just like the deceitfulness right i i, I understand if these people um get a leg up in their career because they know people and because their dad owns whatever but if we just kind of admitted that and just still made incredible music, because I think all those people that you just mentioned are incredible, it wouldn't, for me, it wouldn't take away from their music. I think the conversation of disingenuity is what has gotten people so upset is because these women are co-opting this aesthetic that is very anti-establishment, anti-capitalist, punk, fuck the man kind of vibe. Um, but then they are like being managed or they have a, the backing of a label. They're working with a known sexual assaulter, things like that. That's what got people's attention and why now there's been so much focus on them. So I think you're right. Every If you're in a position where you had connections, like you'd be silly to not make the most of them if that's what you really wanted to do. In this Tramp Stamps case, I don't think it's nepotism. It's more that they're being accused of being an industry plant. So because people thought they were being disingenuous, TikTokers went onto the Tramp Stamp website and they found that it was full of these like really intricate graphics, has great illustrations, professional photos and copy. They also have every form of social media up and running. Like there must be like eight accounts. Um, and they've been active for over six months now. So I know from us managing just one social media account, it's a lot of work <laughs> a lot. to put that kind of marketing out there. So in my opinion, that was a kicker for me. I was like, oh, they've got management, which isn't a bad thing. I think that's what I also want to talk about is like, it's okay to have that. Like what you're saying, it's okay to like have the label behind you or be managed or whatever, but don't try to like co-op this DIY aesthetic basically. Like it's quite obvious when you look at their website and everything's incredibly designed by graphic designers, everything's professionally done. Like if you read their about page, this is kind of, um, this is a snippet of it. 
Whip Smart and Wildly Irrelevant, Nashville-based band Tramp Stamps are introducing a fantastical, unfiltered new voice into today's pop landscape. With a lyrical style that's equal parts social commentary, soul-bearing confession, and brilliantly profane storytelling, the members speak the truth on societal ills like white boy privilege and fragile masculinity, all while revealing their warped sense of humor and untamed joy de vivre. Excuse me, Gen Z punk bands, I don't think of writing that, you know? Yeah, but I think like the last sentence in that website bio is probably the worst and also what's offended a lot of people. They say, quote, it's the kind of stuff women talk about all the time with their friends, but no one's ever put it into this kind of music before, end quote. (laughs) That's a big claim to make when punk and pop punk has been around for decades. And I think people and especially Gen Z TikTokers, they really don't appreciate being deceived. And so when you put these perfectly polished singles out, an amazing marketing plan, people are going to feel suspicious when you're saying like, no one's ever put this kind of music out before. And it's like punk is like, you're not mm. the first people to release a pop punk EP. So disclaimer, I really know nothing about punk music and I can imagine that there's a lot of like history and a lot of importance in the industry. But there's a part of me that almost feels like this borders on gatekeeping of a genre or of music. I feel like there is a lot of that, for instance, on TikTok, um, Jen Zed's discovering the strokes and being like oh my god no one listened to them like don't let them get big um and I understand that yeah punk is quite perhaps different because it has a lot of importance and there's a lot of like history behind it but what if this was just like another group of gen z's let's say they were who wanted to get into punk but they you know they don't really know about their history and they're just trying their best and they're getting it wrong but people are really like yelling down their necks does that does that make sense yeah that totally makes sense but the fact that they were like no one's ever written this music before that's like that's not saying like oh okay we're trying out this genre and like we're not always going to get it right like but we hope you enjoy our music no they're being like we're creating these songs that have never been done before this is like brand new and it's like "Mm, no it's not but i see what you mean by that as a actual gen z i also feel like This is not a positive, but I see this reflected in my own actions and personality. I think because we are so young and so green and quite naive, sometimes we just think these things. We're like, yeah, we're going to take over the world. We're going to do all this stuff um, without considering um, context and history Mm -hmm. and others that have gone before us. It's a good and bad thing. I think it lets us be quite like courageous and try new things. Like I'll say yes to so many things without really thinking about it because I'm like, yeah, I'll figure it out later. Um, But also it can be like obnoxious and it can be very arrogant and especially in a line like they said, that really Mm -hmm. rings true. But also the thing is, they're not Gen Z, they're millennials. So they're all, they're in their mid to late twenties. And also a lot of punk music, a lot of punk music came from people of color. And Mm. also that's a big thing as well. So TikTok was going pretty hard on these women. It was like filling up my feed a lot and they stayed quiet. They turned off their comments on their YouTube account. Um, They didn't make any videos for a few days. It kind of just went quiet. That was until this morning when they posted a accountability post. So it starts with, hi fuckers, tramp stamps here. The misinformation and lies that feed this cancel culture are so fucking toxic. We are three women who have been writing and producing music for many years, busting our asses in the music business while building our personal careers. We all crossed paths and wrote together for the first time in February 2020, and our unfiltered conversations led to songs you're also pressed about right now. So they say that they started sending these songs around and every label wanted to sign with them, but they chose not to sign with a major label so that they could have control. Um, They created their own label called Make Tampons Free, which is distributed through AWOL, which means artists without a label. They go on to say that they wrote the songs 100% between the band and that they produced and mixed them. They also talk about the sexism that surrounds um, the term industry plant. So I kind of wanted to look a bit into that as well. Because when I was researching industry plant, so many of the examples were of women. 
there were lots of articles with women having to defend themselves. So I read some quotes from Claro in a profile for the New York Times, which read, the fact that there has to be a man behind my success when I genuinely have worked so hard is frustrating. At the end of the day, when people say, oh, she's an industry plant, I'm like, no, I just have representation like every single other artist you listen to. I'm not the first person to get a manager. Yeah, Phoebe Bridges was also quoted in an interview with NME about her new album Punisher. And um, in reference to being called an industry plant, she said, people can't handle it. The strokes are an industry plant. Literally, everyone knows that, at least in music, but it's never made anyone like them less. It's such an insane fucking double standard. If you have wealthy parents, you're not allowed to make music as a woman and you're rewarded for it as a man. Every white boy who is mediocre is an industry plant by that standard. And because of the genre of tramp stamps, it got me thinking about Little Huddy. So he released a song a few months ago, 21st Century Vampire. He's also from TikTok, if if you didn't know, who's kind of rebranded himself as a pop punk singer i didn't see any backlash or claims of being an industry plant when obviously he is because he has management from tiktok and he's trying to break into the music industry and he was rebranding himself in the pop punk genre as well there was like crickets to that and from what i saw anyway so while i agree with some of the comments that tiktokers were making around them kind of co-opting the punk diy movement i think it has gone quite far it is becoming very sexist very quickly in my opinion Mm. so going back to the apology in reference to the website the band says that they have a 21 year old freelance graphic designer that marissa met in college um she's been credited on the post from the beginning They also cover the ageism that they've received, saying that our oldest member is 29 years old. Some of you think she has a kid too, and you've all pointed out the obvious fact that she's married. Um, The idea that a female being 29 and having a family could negate her ability to be a relevant creator is absolutely embarrassing. Men create music until they're 900 years old and have families, and nobody gives a shit about them. Very true. The Rolling Stones are like 100 years old now. (laughs) (laughs) um but again it's in the context like they're talking about these kind of like high school things of prom and like very kind of like teenagey things so i think that's why Mm. like gen z feels a bit like oh you're just masquerading as a gen z alt band when you're not really you're older millennials and you're married like that's just not who you are so they feel that disingenuity The post also references some tweets that people have um, uncovered from eight years ago where the main singer said the N-word. They go on to say that Marissa tweeted that language when she was 15 that she's deeply ashamed of. This language is not true to the person she is today, nor does she or the band condone that language. 15 eight years ago would make her 23, so, you know, like still Gen Z, but they're not the DIY aesthetic, I think. So how do we sum this all up? It's been a very convoluted journey, but I think it's brought up, brought out some interesting points, especially about sexism in the music industry and the term industry plant, which I hadn't really heard of before this. Yeah, I think through learning these terms and knowing kind of what goes on behind the scenes, I think I'll try to be a little bit more critical in terms of just looking at artists I like and seeing how they got somewhere. To be honest, doesn't interest me that much. Um, it is intriguing to find out because it's, I think, quite opaque for the rest of us. Yeah, I'm interested to see what they'll do if they'll keep releasing music. Um, I actually listened to it last night on my own accord because it was stuck in my head so bad. Um, So it's super catchy and I think they do have an audience. I think it's a lesson that music labels need to realize like how onto these things like TikTokers are, how they don't like to be deceived. But also I think for like Gen Z and TikTok to also take a step back when like these things are you know, when someone is accused of being an industry plant, instead of all piling on, just taking a breather and being like, okay, what is actually going down? Do I care that much? Are they making good music? So you don't get a situation like this. Aboriginal-owned and led social enterprise Clothing the Gap has to rebrand to Clothing the Gaps after a two-year legal battle with fashion brand Gap. 
The first cease and desist letter came in April 2019, actually a year after Gap closed their stores in Australia. And at the same time, Clothing the Gap weren't even like selling fashion. That wasn't their main thing. They were still predominantly health based. Yeah. How do you feel about this? I saw this news on Friday afternoon and I was so shocked. I was so angry as well because the Gap is American. It's not mm-hmm. even Australian. And Clothing the Gaps so are this, you know, social enterprise located in Australia on the other side of the world and there's a cease and desist letter going out. I think it's disgusting. Yeah, targeting very small businesses mm. at that time and Indigenous-owned businesses. Like, have they not suffered enough? Like, what is the point of this American company going after this business, which I, I don't think their name affects their profits at all. I, If anything, it's probably a good a good association to have. But um, when I read this, I had I never even thought of the clothing brand, The Gap, mm. ever. No, me either. Part of Clothing The Gap's explanation to this news read... We decided against an appeals process as it would be highly costly, drag out the dispute for longer and require a dedicated time and energy effort from our team. We instead chose to negotiate with GAP so that we could focus our energy on what really mattered. Advocating for Aboriginal rights, educating, elevating the voices of Indigenous people and creating social change through fashion. It's terrible to think that um, a lot of their profits from selling their clothes and that usually go to social change would have had to go to fighting this legal battle that's redundant honestly it's over one word which is um it just feels quite ridiculous it's quite absurd like when we saw this I was very much shocked I was like as if they're doing that that is horrible um and although they don't have any physical stores in australia they are still sold through like maya the iconic so people can still purchase it here in australia but this makes me really want to steer clear Mm. away from them exactly i was thinking about getting a gap um sweater this like this autumn winter because i just like the branding of it but now i'm like no way if you're going to do that to a small indigenous company on the other side of the world like why would i support that you're a massive conglomerate and this is obviously all just to get more money it's really sad so i think everyone if you can go and support clothing the gaps um they're selling their own stock at the moment they have until the 31st of july to get everything out and get the new things in so um we'll link their store in our show notes jazz what are you recommending for us this week so this week i'm recommending a brand new podcast from journalist justine landis hanley who's written for publications including the guardian new york times abc and more and Matilda Bosley, who is a Guardian reporter and TikTok extraordinaire. Um, We referenced her a couple of episodes ago when we were talking about the Suez Canal. So they've just started a new political podcast called Old Boys Club, which is helping Australians understand the Old Boys Club of Australian politics. I listened to their first episode on the plane on the way back from my holiday, and I really enjoyed it. I particularly liked their main topic, which was about the vaccine rollout stuff up. I don't know about you, but all of this AstraZeneca stuff was really confusing me, especially when I was away. I was like half reading the news, and I was just like, ugh, I can't be bothered to like, you know, get into all of the states versus the federals and who's stuffed up where, why aren't I vaccinated yet? But um, Justine and Matilda really, really broke it down, very cleverly went through everything. Um, It's very chaotic energy, but that makes it very engaging to listen to, I think, um, because it's quite fast paced. But for the internet generation, I think that's what's needed with our short attention spans, especially when it comes to the news and politics. I also think it's really great that a lot of young people want to be involved in politics, but the jargon and like the constant pace of it all the time can make it hard to keep up. So I'm really looking forward to Mm. seeing where they take this and what I'll learn from them as well, because they're both very intelligent women and I think this is definitely needed in the space. I mean, you and I try to touch on politics every now and then when we can, but we're not a political podcast. So it's great that there's a space dedicated just for that. Yay to making news more accessible. Honestly, it is so important and I need to give this a shot. And I will um, admit that I was 
hesitant because it's like, oh, politics, will that be a drainer? But no, you've kind of assured me that it'll be engaging, it'll be kind of fun. So I'll listen so I can get on top of all this stuff. And what do you have recommended for us today? Um, I've got another podcast, so it's a pretty light one. Don't worry. Um, It is an episode of The Briefing, uh, which is called The Weekend Briefing with Benjamin Law. So in this very short episode, I think the interview maybe goes for 20 minutes max. Jamila Rizvi has a candid and deep chat with Benjamin Law. So he is a playwright, author, radio broadcaster, podcaster, speaker, and creator of the TV show, The Family Law. He does everything, I swear. And as a fellow Asian in the media space, he is one of the people I really look up to and I always really value the work he does. So every Sunday for the Good Weekend magazine, Ben interviews people about taboos surrounding like money, sex, religion, bodies, death, and politics. And the topics are chosen by a roll of the dice. And then he'll ask questions um, to celebrities or famous figures about these topics. So for this episode, the tables are turned and he is interviewed on the same themes, which makes it a very juicy conversation. So I really liked the part where he was talking about death and I was left um, feeling very gobsmacked and in awe by this passage he read out by Anne Druyan, who is the wife of late astronomer Carl Sagan. Um, So I'm going to play that here. It is almost two minutes, but I promise you it's worth the listen. A little bit morbid, but very sweet. Here you go. Have you ever come across that quote by Carl Sagan's wife, Jamila? No. Like Carl Sagan's wife, when Carl Sagan, the very famous scientist, died, she said, can I read this out to you? Because it completely changed me on a cellular level when I read it. She says, when my husband died, because he was so famous and known for not being a believer, many people would come up to me, it still sometimes happens, and ask me if Carl changed at the end of it, converted to a belief in the afterlife. They also frequently ask me if I think I will see him again. Carl faced his death with unflagging courage and never sought refuge in illusions. The tragedy was that we knew we would never see each other again. I don't expect to be reunited with Carl. But the great thing is that when we were together for nearly 20 years, we lived with a vivid appreciation of how brief and precious life is. We never trivialised the meaning of death by pretending it was anything other than a final parting. Every single moment that we were alive and we were together was miraculous. Not miraculous in the sense of inexplicable or supernatural. We knew we were beneficiaries of chance. That pure chance could be so generous and so kind that we could find each other, as Carl wrote so beautifully in Cosmos, you know, in the vastness of space and the immensity of time that we could be together for 20 years. That is something which sustains me and it's much more meaningful. The way he treated me and the way I treated him, the way we took care of each other and our family while he lived, that is so much more important than the idea I will see him someday. I don't think I'll ever see Carl again, but I saw him. We saw each other. We found each other in the cosmos. And that was wonderful. So with that philosophical moment... That's the end of our episode for this week. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for um, sticking through the conversation, the long conversation about music today. We love having these chats with you. And if you enjoy them too, please give us a little rate, review, subscribe, all that stuff. We love reading reviews. So we will see you next week for a new episode at the same time as always. Have a good week. Bye.